Welcome to the Face Yoga Expert podcast, coming up. Sleep is so huge. Sleep is so huge for repair. Sleep is one thing that really comes back online when people give up alcohol pretty quickly. Um, and once they learn to be able to fall asleep on their own. And sleep is just is so essential for um, repair. It, it's when you store up um, all the nutrients back into your liver. And I kind of imagine like little elves in our body, like kind of hammering and nailing and tapping and sawing and um, restocking the shelves. And the more time you allow yourself to do that, then you can get into that deeper sleep, like the more repaired you're gonna be and the better you're gonna feel the next day. I'm your host, Danielle Collins, and I'm the world-leading face yoga expert, best-selling author of the book, Danielle Collins Face Yoga, and creator of the international teacher training program, the Danielle Collins Face Yoga Method. 17 years ago, I healed myself from chronic illness, and I've spent the last 15 years teaching, sharing, and serving millions of people in person, on TV, and online to help them look and feel the best version of themselves. This podcast is about giving you simple, effective, natural tips and advice and sharing knowledge and insight from industry experts. If you have a friend who you think would enjoy this podcast, please share it on social media as it means so much if you took a moment to rate and review this podcast as it allows more people to feel healthier and happier naturally. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. This is the Face Yoga Expert Podcast. Hello and a warm welcome to the Face Yoga Expert podcast and happy new year. I hope you are looking forward to a 2021. I have a good feeling about 2021. I feel like good things are going to happen for all of us. Now, this week's episode, I must admit, I thought about for quite a while, should I do a podcast on alcohol? I know it is a really, really sensitive subject for so many people. And also I didn't want to do a podcast which sounded really judgmental because there's absolutely no judgment from me about whether you decide to drink alcohol or not. And what I decided was, yes, I would do a podcast on this, but I would just do a podcast which was about bringing across the facts, how it affects the skin, how it affects our mind, how it affects our body, really actionable tips to cutting down and cutting out alcohol, how we can deal with those difficult issues in terms of how people will react to us if we're not drinking. How will we deal with stress? How will we deal with sadness? So many things I know so many of you will be thinking when it comes to cutting down or cutting out alcohol. Now, as many of you know, I haven't drunk alcohol for gosh, about 17 years now. But I do know what it's like to give up and to go through all those different emotions, that healing, but also all of the mental side of things as well, how it affects your mind, how it can affect your social circumstances. So I have got a great guest on this week. I have got Dr. Erin Thorne. I knew she'd be the perfect person to get on to talk about the facts when it comes to alcohol and how alcohol can make our skin look older. Now, Dr. Erin Thorne is a licensed naturopathic doctor. She's based in Seattle in the US and she has two degrees, a naturopathic doctorate and she has a master's of science in integrative medical research. And she is very passionate about wellness, about holistic health. 
She definitely knows about the journey of giving up alcohol. She gave up alcohol when she became a mum about four or five years ago, but she's also the daughter of two alcoholic parents. So she really knows the very extreme sides of alcohol. She knows what it's like to be a moderate drinker and now she knows what it's like to not drink at all. So we have a really honest and a really open chat, which I hope is going to be super helpful for you. And I say this quite a few times during my chat with Erin, but honestly, this is completely non-judgmental. I hope it just gives you a little bit of inspiration. And I know many of you will be thinking about cutting down or cutting out alcohol now it's January. So I do hope that it helps. Now, before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to remind you about our teacher training course. Now, I know some of you listening are already our face yoga teachers, but if you're not a face yoga teacher and you would like to have that accredited certification, you can do all the study in your own time at your own pace and you can just do it online, which is a fantastic way of doing it. So you can just go to faceyogaexpert.com slash teacher training for all the information there. And if you're thinking, I'd really love to do face yoga, I'd really love to study it, I'd love to learn more about it, but I don't want necessarily a qualification, I don't want to go forward and teach other people, then I think you would like my 10-day course. This is completely for personal use. You've got a 10-minute video, which during those 10 minutes, you work all areas of the face. You do 10 minutes a day for 10 days. You can repeat those 10 days as many times as you like, and you get a full digital copy of my book, Danielle Collins Face Yoga 2. So you can go to faceyogaexpert.com shop, and you'll see the 10-day course on there. So let's get into this week's episode with Dr. Erin Thorne. Dr. Erin, thank you so much for being on the Face Yoga Expert podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. I'm so excited for you to be here. And I was chatting to you when we decided to do this podcast and was sort of telling you that I would love to do a podcast about alcohol, how it affects the skin, how it can affect well-being, because of course I've been on my own journey with that. But I really wanted to do the podcast with a bit more of a, a medical point of view and really from someone else's perspective as well. So that's why I'm so excited to have you on. Yes, I, I'm excited to talk about it. It's one of my favourite things to talk about. <laughs> oh, that's so lovely to hear. Well, what I'd love to do is just jump straight in with talking a little bit about the skin and the face. We can get on to a little bit more about your journey later on. But what I'd love to know, and you know, as I said to you when we were chatting about this podcast, I really want it to be everything we say and share to be very non-judgmental because I understand and I know you do as well that everybody is on their own journey when it comes to alcohol. But I really would love to just give people a few facts about how alcohol can negatively affect our skin, our face, how it can maybe age the face. Because I know a lot of my listeners, of course, are very much into face yoga and natural ways to look healthier, look more glowing and look younger. So maybe we could start with that if that's okay. That sounds great. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I um, I also try to always approach it from a very non-judgmental way and meeting people where they're at. So this will absolutely just be from more of an inf- information side of things. So 
alcohol, as you know, just off the bat, most of most people who drink know that alcohol dehydrates you. So you usually want to drink a lot of water afterwards. And that's because it, it dehydrates your body, but also dehydrates your skin because water will always go to the most needed organ. So like your, your brain and your digestive tract. So absolutely your skin's going to dry out a little bit, um, with alcohol. The main thing that I tell patients about is that alcohol actually uh, robs your body of a lot of nutrients, and that's because when your when alcohol enters your body, you know, although it ca- may cause some relaxation and some some great laughter, um, your body interprets it as a toxin. You know, as we all know that it's it's some form of a toxin, and so toxins, as you know, get removed uh, through the liver, and so the liver uses a lot of nutrients like zinc and your B vitamins and vitamin C. Um, and so it requires a lot of nutrients to pull alcohol out of the body. And a lot of those nutrients happen to double over as nutrients that are beneficial to the skin and help help lay down collagen and help give you that you know healthy glow and help build up the muscles in your face. And so um, a recent study actually that I'll post on my website showed that that was done yes, uh, last year actually showed that just drinking actually more than eight glasses a week, um, which I think is actually pretty common. I, they actually cons- considered that as a heavy drinking. Increased uh, facial lines, under eye puffiness. I think you probably have a better term for it than I, but the oral commissures, so like that sunken. I know you've done muscle. Um, you, you've taught us kind of how to massage that out. And then loss of volume in your face, like the upper part of your face, actually. And they did this study with about 3,000 women in the UK and Canada and Australia and the US. And then they found that when they gave it up, it it kind of all of those things kind of fell back into place. So Wow, I'd love yeah. to see that study. And I know a lot of my listeners would too. So maybe if you send it, we could pop that in the show notes. I would love to share that. Yeah. Yeah, that would be fantastic. So it obviously does negatively affect our face. And it's interesting that you said with the study, it's done sort of eight or more drinks per week. I mean, what do you feel? I mean, you work with a lot of clients. I know you work with a lot of women. What do you feel is a a healthy amount of alcohol? So let's first of all, just talk about in terms of the aesthetics. So in terms of helping us to look healthy and look younger, because I'd like to get a bit more into the well-being in a moment. What do you think is, is a healthy amount? So I work with women, obviously, on the spectrum, um, and a lot of women are trying to give up alcohol completely because of, you know, other aspects like, you know, alcohol can increase anxiety and depression. But I would say that, well, (laughs) a lot of associations have recently come out with new guidelines that actually no amount of alcohol is is healthy for you. You know, that those studies that before that were saying that the resveratrol, um, which is an antioxidant in red wine, it's actually, it doesn't outweigh the costs of drinking alcohol, you know, because the alcohol or the ethanol is still in that glass of wine, which is why, you know, there's a lot of great um, companies out there that are making non-alcoholic red wines that still have the resveratrol in it. And then even like CBD oil, I haven't tried any of these, but I'm, I'm fascinated by that. But um, yeah, so I, I kind of consider drinking drinking a glass of wine, like, yes, you get some resveratrol and a little bit of antioxidants, but then you're drinking the alcohol, which is inflammatory. So you're kind of just breaking even, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, Yeah. So if you're wanting to move forward with, you know, anti-aging or youthful skin, the the non-alcoholic one definitely will have more antioxidants. (laughs) 
And if someone's listening to this and thinking, okay, so I know in order to help my skin and to complement everything I do with maybe healthy eating, exercise, face yoga, good skincare, I know that I should be reducing or completely cutting out alcohol. But, and I'm sure you hear this but a lot, (laughs) but it's difficult. It's the way that perhaps I relax. It's the way that I celebrate. I have social pressures. I use it as a crutch in certain ways. I mean, lots and lots of reasons. um, And I'm sure you come across these reasons a lot. And I'm not talking about people necessarily that have got a a severe alcohol issue. I'm just talking about a healthy person that includes some alcohol in their week, but actually would be quite keen to cut it out. What would be your advice on that? Yeah, I mean, you can think of it as an experiment. You know, I mean, you have a whole life to live ahead of you, you know, and it's absolutely your life. So you get to, you know, make those decisions. So a lot of people will give up alcohol for 30 days just to see if they find those skin changes, if they're, you know, they get that healthy glow and they start sleeping better. So I would say to play with it a little bit, you know, I think we don't do very well when you make black or white statements or like huge proclamations, you know, like this coming, like January, we all usually make these big proclamations, but like making reasonable goals, you know, okay, I've been drinking, a lot of people have been drinking a lot in quarantine. So I've been drinking a lot in quarantine. Maybe I'm going to take a break for seven days, you know, and see how I feel after that and really be a researcher of yourself. You know, no one cares more about your body than yourself. So really taking note, like, wow, my, my skin is, you know, less red and less puffy. And I I feel like I have some more energy. So it's really, when people ask me this question, it's really just up to you. Like, it's not my prerogative to tell you that you, you have to give up alcohol completely. You will see more improvements the longer you go without it. So 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, six months, there's kind of your body starts um, changing in different ways because your liver will come back online and be able to detox inflammation and your digestive system because alcohol actually pokes holes in your gut. Your gut will heal. So less inflammation is leaking into your bloodstream. So as you, you know, tack on more days of, um, avoiding, you know, an inflammatory, uh, toxin in your system, you're going to see more benefits, but it's hard to get there. So, you know, don't make black and white statements, you know, try 30 days, try seven days and see, see how you feel. That makes sense. And it sounds really manageable as well. And I love that idea of almost doing it like a little bit of an experiment. And something which you mentioned there, which I think may really help people's motivation, is about the changes that start to happen after the 30 days, the 60 days and the 90 days. Maybe you could tell us a little bit more about that, because I think that's super interesting. Yeah, we could spend a long time on that. I will try to summarize it. Um, but yeah, so I, I most women that come to me um, want to look better and have, you know, like lose some weight and have more energy to play with their kids and balance their mood. So those are the four things that kind of alcohol hits upon. And so the first thing, you know, in the first 30 days, we usually see people are sleeping better, they get a little bit of energy and their skin glows a little bit. And then the mood can take a really long time, you know, like six months to a year to heal as your brain kind of starts to trust, you know, the, the, and allowing the neurotransmitters to come online. 90 days is where we see your metabolism kind of coming back online again. So blood sugar about as long as you haven't been, you know, Binging. What kind of sugars do you guys like to eat in the UK? <laughs> oh, at all sugars. <laughs> okay, okay. Your I'm trying to think of what we like. Um, I chocolate. Don't know. Let's say chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> so refined <laughs> sugar and chocolate. <laughs> all the chocolate. Um, as long as you haven't swapped alcohol out for a bunch of sugar, your metabolism will start to heal. So 
and blood sugar is huge for healing your skin, you know, because blood sugar or sugars will also, you know, deplete the zinc. So as you remove alcohol, your body starts to take on this zinc that was used, that was uh, previously being used to remove alcohol. And now the zinc can pair up with B6 and vitamin C and collagen and absolutely go to your face and start repairing your face and um, repairing other structures that need repair. So it's just a, it's kind of like a, a bank account. Like your body only has so many resources and savings, you know, like so much B12, so much zinc, so much collagen and energy every day. And so if a lot of it, you know, 30 or 40% of it is always going to manage alcohol, then yeah, you're not going to have as many resources available to repair your skin and hair. I always call your skin and hair kind of your accessories of your body. Your body's never going to like repair your accessories until, you know, you have all the resources available. That's um, so true. Yeah. <laughs> so. That's great. And that's really, like I said, a, a great motivation for people. And as you're talking, I'm sort of just thinking through actually about how I found it when I gave up alcohol. So I must have given up alcohol when I was 22. So next month I'm going to be 39. Now in the UK, we can start drinking alcohol from 18 and I probably started at 16, 17. So not just social drinking. So I would never drink sort of on my own. It's very much the party scene, you know, the college, university sort of scene. That was definitely when I drank. But the reason I gave up is quite because when I was 21, I got diagnosed with ME and chronic fatigue syndrome. So I was very much housebound, bedridden, completely depleted every single part of me. Um, so obviously giving up alcohol was something that my doctor recommended straight away, which I did. And I remember when I recovered, because I was fully recovered within 18 months, and it was a whole holistic healing journey, which obviously led me to everything that I do now. But I remember thinking when I got better, I'm just going to do a little experiment. So a little bit like what you mm -hmm. said, I'm going to see how long I can continue without alcohol. So maybe I go another six months, maybe I go another year. And actually it's gone all these years now, you know, 17 plus years. And as you were talking, it was interesting because I was trying to think back to those early days and not drinking, but even now actually not drinking. And there are downsides, aren't there, to not drinking, particularly from a social point of view, but also from an emotional point of view, interestingly enough. Is that something you come across as well? Yeah, it can be kind of mourning an old friend, mm -hmm. like saying goodbye to a, a dear, dear friend. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Absolutely. And it's and it's interesting because um, something which I notice that people in my social circle or clients of mine often say is, you know, just little things like, oh, I've had a, such a stressful day. I can't wait to have a glass of wine tonight and things like that. And I realise that by choosing to be sober, you have to deal with that stress in other ways. So you have to have this toolbox of techniques that you can draw on, you know, when you're stressed, you can't go mm -hmm. to alcohol. So you have to know other tools you can use when you want to feel a bit calmer in a situation, when you maybe want to, maybe when you feel sad, it's easy obviously to use alcohol to numb pain through sadness. Um, again, you have to feel it, you have to live it, you have to be with it. If you want to fall asleep, you have to fall asleep in a natural way. You can't use alcohol to help you fall asleep. And this is not a daily thing for me. I mean, I sometimes go, years without even thinking about alcohol. But I'm just trying to think of some of those little thoughts that have come into my head over the years that people may be thinking. You know, the, the first 30 days or even a, a week that you go, you know, I saw a woman this week that, you know, it was alcohol free for 10 days and she was so, so excited. And I was, I was, 
elated for her. That's very mm-hmm. exciting. But it's about becoming comfortable in your own skin. And alcohol sometimes can, we can drink sometimes when you feel a little bit lonely, you know? And so it's, it's identifying those little, those little feelings and really sitting with those. And that can be kind of uncomfortable because we're a go, go, go society. But I think quarantine, you know, and this pandemic is a great opportunity to, you know, experiment and play with it right now. Cause I feel like we all, I hope, hopefully we all have a little bit more time to do some self-care and self-reflection right now. So, yeah. Absolutely. And I know that you say very clearly on, on your website that you had two alcoholic parents. Do you think that that's been a big motivator in you now sort of flying the flag for helping people through alcohol issues and helping them to become sober? Yeah, it it really has. It wasn't the original motivator for me, though, because like the motivator really has to come from you and be much deeper. I find like if you know anything about psychology, it's you you won't really give it up necessarily for the anti-aging purposes or for, you know, it'll be it'll be for a multiple, multiple amount of factors that will help. But it was really just the the two alcoholic parents. And then when I became a parent, I have a, a two and a no, a three, three and five now. Um, they just turned three and five, but, um, three and five year old girls. And I wanted to do an experiment. (laughs) I was like, what's it going to be like if I, I drop alcohol out of the picture and these girls actually get to grow up without alcohol. I was like, I would have loved that growing up. So it's been an experiment ever since. (laughs) Wow. So would it been about five years ago then that, that you, did you cut down or you gave it up completely? I, I played with it for a long time. Like I, um, I, I really struggled giving it up because it was a good old friend from college, you know? Um, and so I had a hard time and I would do a couple days and then give up in a couple days here and there. And then I'm sure many of you, maybe your listeners have heard of it, but, um, this naked mind by Annie Grace was the book that finally kind of just clicked into place. It kind of just breaks down, um, how alcohol works in your body and the marketing towards women and mothers. And, I did not like feeling like I was being duped by by all of the commercials and the um, the stigmas. So that was I don't like being tricked. So that, that kind of helped too. <laughs> That's really interesting, actually, to look at it as more of a sort of a marketing point of view and how it's marketed towards mothers in that way. I hadn't actually thought of it like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's lots of I don't know about um, over there, but in the in the United States, the, yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of wine in cups yes. <laughs> at parks and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Well, absolutely. And I think it's, um, I think we, we both know, I mean, I've got two daughters as well who are four and eight and we, we know that it's, it's hard work being a mom. It, it really is. And it takes, um, it takes a toll on your mental and physical and emotional health, despite it being the most wonderful thing in the world. There is so many aspects of it which are hard going. So I do think that a lot of mums will be using alcohol. And again, saying this in such a non-judgmental way, because both of us have been through our own journey with it all. But I know that a lot of mums will be using it um, to help them through the lack of sleep, the stress, um, the lack of having any breaks or time for themselves. So certainly it's definitely a, a phenomenon, I think, over here in the UK as well, for sure. Yeah. And I, again, sorry, I, it, it is definitely a non-judgmental zone because I have absolutely been there and been at, <laughs> um, been in the park with wine in my coffee cup. So yeah. I, 
time. <laughs> exactly. And I'd love to get, and we've talked a little bit about how it affects the skin, but I'd love to talk a little bit about how alcohol, and I know this is a huge subject, but how <laughs> alcohol can affect our mental and physical health. So let's talk about, it's quite a good number what you mentioned in that study, about that sort of eight drinks, eight drinks plus a week, what, what that could be doing. And it's honestly that eight drinks per week, it, it could, it's different for everyone, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you also have to think about like how in that study, they also included um, air pollution, water pollution. Um, you know, do you have a new car? Do you have a, you know, because I talk a lot about toxins, like environmental toxins too. So like if you think of every human as a rain barrel and, you know, filling up with toxins and alcohol, you know, being added into that equation, it's really like how clean of a lifestyle you're living too. you know, like, are you exposed to a lot of air pollution um, and other things? Because all of those things need to get detoxed from the liver. And so, and everything that is left over is just stored in your body and is going to kind of work against you in any sort of anti-aging or healing efforts you're going to put into your body. So yeah, other, other physical effects are, well, you said mental health, but Sleep is so huge. Sleep is so huge for repair. And sleep is one thing that really comes back online when people give up alcohol pretty quickly. Um, And once they learn to be able to fall asleep on their own. And sleep is just is so essential for um, repair. It's when you store up um, all the nutrients back into your liver. And I kind of imagine like little elves in our body, like kind of hammering, (laughs) hammering and nailing and tapping and sawing and uh, restocking the shelves. And the more time you allow yourself to do that um, and you can get into that deeper sleep, like the more repaired you're going to be and the better you're going to feel the next day. So alcohol usually impairs your sleep. You know, you can fall asleep initially, but you'll wake up quite frequently frequently throughout the night. And that light sleep, actually, they've shown in studies, you'll eat up to 500 to 700 extra calories the next day, just because your body feels so deficient in energy, because you didn't get the elves weren't able to stock the shelves appropriately. So that is that is one huge thing that comes online. Um, And then also people who aren't sleeping as deeply and efficiently also have more anxiety and depression the next day, you know, so which leads you to want to drink more alcohol maybe in the evenings and afternoons. So it kind of starts this vicious cycle of alcohol in the evenings, poor sleep, eating carbohydrates and sugars, you know, not feeling the best, not feeling very energetic and a little moody and then drinking more alcohol. So it starts this loop. Absolutely. Do you think there's any particular signs that people need to be looking out for if they are perhaps heading to a point where maybe there's a problem with alcohol or maybe they think they may be addicted to alcohol in some way? And again, this I know is a really, really difficult one for people to distinguish because we often think that people that are alcoholics are, you know, people drinking on the streets and they don't have a home and they're constantly drunk all the time. But I'm sure you'll be able to shed light on the matter that actually you can be really functioning, but also have a problem. So what are what are the signs that people need to look out for, for themselves or for loved ones? It's a real reflection, I feel like, an internal reflection, to be quite honest, you know, so you have an internal voice. We all have an internal voice that, you know, sees things and observes things and takes note of things. So if your internal voice is saying things like, geez, I feel like I'm drinking a little bit too much, or I wonder if this is normal, that's probably time to kind of start, you know, questioning the amount or backing off and 
doing this experiment or playing with backing off and seeing if you can successfully back off. You know, it's it's really challenging to address it. And it's, it's very brave. It's a very brave thing to do. Other things are if you have anxiety and depression um, and it's not getting better and it's worsening and you're having more anger outbursts and you maybe are gaining some weight that is unexpected because with every decade of life, your body and your hormones change, then yeah, it is, it is maybe time to start addressing some of this alcohol stuff. And some people really try to first start with cutting back and it's hard to just cut back. So sometimes it's easier to just do the breaks, the planned breaks, I find. And what if somebody does a break maybe for a week or two weeks and then maybe there's a trigger for them in some way? So it could be maybe a stressful event, um, maybe suddenly they're not sleeping well, um, maybe it's a social situation that they're in and then they start again. How do people sort of stay, stay strong in those circumstances? Oh my gosh. It's, I think community is huge. And mm-hmm. that's why there's so many great, like sober and sober curious communities out there right now. Um, having an accountability buddy. And I think we're also isolated right now. It's hard to find friends and community and, or maybe it's actually not hard because we're all online. So I would encourage people to find some sort of accountability buddy, like maybe a sister or a cousin or a friend, um, that's sort of on the same track or just, you know, a really vulnerable thing to do is kind of just reaching out, like say, anybody else out there want to, want to take on this challenge with me? It, it really needs to be put into the light. You know, it's like, it's, it's not something that maybe you want to just do in the dark by yourself and fumble around with. It's, it's nice to have someone to talk to, you know, that's why I actually have women that just, we don't even do a lot of medical stuff in labs. They just will call me cause they just want to talk once a week <laughs> about this, you know, just so that they have some accountability and can kind of work through some of the yeah, I had a craving last week. And, you know, let's talk about what was the root cause of that craving. So, yeah. That makes complete sense. And I think social situations, so parties and that type of thing can be the most difficult situations to be sober in. I mean, nowadays, I don't find it a, a big issue. One, because I'm 30, nearly 39 and I don't go out very often. But looking <laughs> back to when I was 23, 24, and I used to go out a lot, I remember it being really tricky to have to explain to friends and to people who I met socially, oh no, I don't drink or I'm not drinking. And I understood also it sometimes made other people feel uncomfortable or judged in some way. So I'm really sympathetic to that feeling that that people may have. I'm also in the, the lucky position now that obviously all of my friends and my family, they understand that I don't drink and they're completely happy and completely comfortable with that. And also, of course, I do a job which is all about health and self-care. So a lot of people know that not drinking goes along with that as well. So I guess it's more of a comfortable position than it might have been sort of 15 years ago. But if someone is thinking, well, am I going to, is this going to affect my social life or are friends going to stop wanting to see me or am I going to feel really shy or unconfident situations? What advice would you give there? So first of all, there's lots of mocktails out there now. Like (laughs) most restaurants offer them. There's so many. I, I actually went into a liquor store to get a a bottle of, um, non-alcoholic champagne. And I had to show my ID. Like, it's like, they still even give you the same experience, (laughs) um, like of buying the alcohol, at least in the U S or the mocktails in the U S but some people find at first that it's nice to have something in their hand always, Mm -hmm. you know, like 
whether it's a coffee or a tea or a mocktail, you know, just so that they can feel included. And you can still put it in a fancy glass. And I think that's part of it is the psychology of it is you don't want to lose the ritual. Like everyone standing around in a circle chatting, you know, we're taking turns chatting and then we're also taking a sip of something. So I think it's important to keep that ritual, you know, keep it in your hands. Um, and then as you get stronger or more, you know, or, or, you know, you're okay with this, uh, more. So I still love to hold things in my hand. I'm just like, I'm a, I'm a fidgety person sometimes. <laughs> um, but I think that eventually it doesn't bother you as much because you're, you're just really used to it and you're used to having people kind of look at you funny or ask you questions about it because it's a muscle, right? So it's a, it's almost, I call it a sobriety muscle and it's a, it's a mental muscle that you exercise. And the more that you say it, and then you stand still and stand firm in that response from other people while you wait for them to kind of fumble. Person A is going to say, awesome. Or would you like a drink? And you're going to say no. And they'll say, great. Can I get you some sparkling water? And they'll offer you something else and move on. Person B, who's going to take it really personally, is going to be like, what? Why aren't you drinking? Because you're making them think about their drinking suddenly. Mm -hmm. They're like, you know, why now they're evaluating themselves and you're causing this whole internal uh, tension for them. So they don't like that. So they'll, the more people, the people that give you the big grief are the ones that are actually having some internal torment as well. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree with that. And what you obviously mentioned that you've got two daughters. What advice would you give your daughters in terms of drinking as they grow up? Oh my gosh. I think about this all the time. I just, I really don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to be that mom and the, and the teenage house that everyone's like, Oh God, the sober doc. Like, <laughs> it's like don't want to go there. It's the boring house. So we, I, I love creativity and I think that giving up alcohol really accessed my creative, colorful, joyous side of me. It unlocked this, this part of me that had been trapped since, you know, dealing with alcoholic parents. And so we've created so much space in our house for creativity and dance and painting and expressing yourself in a really healthy way. And that's what I hope to, you know, pass on to them so that they don't maybe need to drink alcohol. I will never um, stop them from it. I will always keep them educated about it. And maybe one of my daughters is very cerebral. She's very, um, I can just tell she likes facts and numbers like her father, who's a statistician. And so we'll probably do research with her and the other ones kind of, oh, she's going to be my wild child. So we'll maybe do, let's channel this, you know, creative energy into other things. So we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I know. I often think about it too. I say to my husband, Bruce, sometimes, how much of a strange experience is it going to be for our girls as they go into their teenage years and then them realising that there's not alcohol in the house and it's so normal for them at four and eight to not be around alcohol. You know, they've never seen us with alcohol in our hand. I mean, my husband will drink occasionally if he goes to um, like a, a sort of like lads holiday or a, a night out with workmates. So he probably drinks, I would say, twice a year maybe, but not in the house at all. So, and, and not because I don't want him to, it's just a choice he's, he's sort of gradually made over the years. But I often think how strange experience it will be for our girls. And, and 
probably similar to you, I, I imagine. I go through those two sort of sides of things of going, oh, well, hopefully I'm bringing them up in a really creative, a really safe, a really happy, a really healthy space where they know themselves. They know about wellness. They've, they know about yoga. They know about nutrition. They know about all these other ways to look after themselves and, and nourish themselves. So I think about that side of things. But then I also think, oh my goodness, are they going to rebel? And because they grew up in a house with no alcohol, are they just going to go running for alcohol as soon as they can? And my youngest is also my sort of little rebel. So I think to myself, my oldest, she's so sensible. She would probably, you know, have a couple of glasses and then that would be enough and be home on time. But my youngest one doesn't like being told what to do. So So I think it's just a journey, but actually I'm not against them drinking. You know, drinking for me was a big part of my socialisation and a big part of... I guess my sort of coming of age and my university, and I never did it unsafely. I mean, I probably drank too much for my body because I now know more about my constitution, about having quite a sensitive body and and everything like that. However, it was good. It was positive for me in, in lots of ways. So I do think to myself, I actually don't mind if they drink, but I just hope that it's done in a really sensible way, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's, it's fun to chuckle about that. It's a little dirty. I mean, just to add a side note, like you and I sort of have a little bit of different stories, but I also have a very genetic component with alcohol. So I also, I have a little bit more to worry about with my children, I feel like. That's true. I hadn't actually thought about that side of things. And that might be something, again, listeners may be thinking, you know, perhaps being daughter or son of alcoholic parents. So is there evidence to show that that can run in families? Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. And honestly, I think it has a lot to do with passed down trauma and that's not a wooey thing. That's Mm -hmm. like a a woo woo. It's a, it's actual, just like the way that we handle um, vulnerability and being ourselves. But, um, yeah, there's a mutation just briefly and there's lots of um, information on my website if you want to read more, but the COMPT COMT mutation is a way that we manage stress and trauma basically. And so people that have this gene mutation, um, don't clear stress out of their body very efficiently. So they're going to have lingering anxiety and actually more addictive behaviors. So I have that, I have a double mutation in that gene. So alcohol tastes extra (laughs) delicious to me and I get extra stress. So I've really had to address that in my my life. Oh my goodness. So do you have a wellness routine that you use on a, a daily basis? It's different during weekdays and weekends and since the pandemic. So I think all of us have tried to, you know, get some our footing in this new world. But yeah, I mean, and also I have very young children, so my days are not always predictable. And I also am not getting as much sleep as I would like sometimes. I try to walk a lot. I love walking and exposing my eyes to natural light, you know, from all this screen time that we're doing right now breathing fresh, oxygenated air instead of recirculated building and home air and mask air. <laughs> Just really doing more slow and self-care has been my focus during this pandemic. It's switched up. I used to do a lot of weight training and running before the pandemic. And I've this, is, this pandemic has kind of slowed me down, which has been great. That is great. And finally, I would love to know, what would your top tip for inner peace be? Spending time with yourself um, and being intentional about that time with yourself. So not necessarily like boredom or silence and listening to the chatter of your mind, but 
you know, journaling and reflection on the day. I think that is such a powerful tool for finding inner peace. It's so powerful. Thank you so much, Erin. Everything that you have shared with us today has been absolutely fantastic and your knowledge is so much appreciated. So thank you so much for being on the Face Yoga Expert podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you'd like more information on face yoga or you'd like to become a face yoga teacher, just head to our website, faceyogaexpert.com for more information. If you'd like to do a regular structured daily face yoga program to get the best results, you can either use one of my apps, just search Danielle Collins on your app store, or you can use my book, just search Danielle Collins Face Yoga on Amazon. And thank you for joining me today. And I look forward to seeing you again next time.